This is Contra Radio from Contra.Scot. Hi folks, David Jameson here, editor of Contra.Scot. In the last week, uh, we've had Nicola Sturgeon release one of her, her latest paper on the Scottish independence prospectus, the long-awaited economics and currency proposal, which mirrored in many regards Andrew Wilson's Growth Commission report of 2018, recommending, among other things, Stalinisation. That is, that an independent Scotland would continue to use the Stalin policy without access to monetary policy, without control of a central bank, and so forth. Joining me to discuss this uh, is Alberto Poloni of the Adam Smith Business School at Glasgow University, uh, who has recently published a paper on the current currency options facing an independent Scotland. Alberto, thanks very much for agreeing to speak to us. Thank you for having me. Alberto, first of all, can I ask, um, what was your reaction to the new paper, uh, if it is indeed new and not a rehashing of the Growth Commission paper? Um, were, were you expecting this? Uh, and uh, what was your sort of general thoughts on the paper? Um, let me start by saying that I'm not, I don't really know the internal dynamics within the S&P and, and so on. I, I, I'm an economist, okay? I'm not a politician. But I thought that the document, uh, Building a New Scotland, uh, was actually disappointing. I was expecting more. And I was hoping it would reflect the amendments that had been approved at the uh, S&P um, conference in, uh, what is it, 2019. Um, so the amendment B, although D wasn't approved and so on, but I, I thought there would be uh, some step forward in that direction. Mm -hmm. Yes, you can use, you can find positive points if you want, and try to make the document look nicer than what it is. But I'm an economist and not a politician. So yes, I'm disappointed by, um, by the document. I don't quite see any significant diversion from the initial um, Growth Commission report. Let me begin by asking with, with relation to, to Stalinization, which I gather from reading your paper, you're a critic of, but what are what are the problems with sterilisation as a policy? What problems does it would it present to a newly independent Scotland? Well, essentially, uh, you know, you have a currency on which you have no power whatsoever. So, in order to power on, on a currency, you are meant to uh, decide what monetary policy is. For example, to set the interest rate. Okay. Um, and a central bank is meant to have also a number of functions, and none of these happens with, with um, what the document suggests. Now, why is this significant? It's significant because it really reduces the policy space available to the government. What I'm trying to say is this. The government can say, oh, I want... Um, that Scotland is 
an economy that grows, where growth is more equally distributed, so uh, inequality is reduced. We want Scotland to be green. Uh, we want to have public services and, and all those things, which are written there in the document. But how do you actually get there? What do you do to get there? And the document says, well, nothing really from what happens today. You're cutting yourself policy space. You, you, you cannot move your monetary policy and your fiscal policy in a way that is consistent with the objectives that you want to achieve. You cannot move monetary policy for the reason that I said earlier, because it is the Bank of England that will control the interest rate. The document recognizes that, but then it says something that is not quite consistent with this um, realization, which is, oh, but we will conduct an independent fiscal policy. You can conduct an independent fiscal policy if you have no control over the interest rate. Um, and what is really bothering is then it says, okay, um, we will start with sterling, but then at some point when the market feels that this is quite appropriate, we can move to the Scottish pound. When the international market decide, I, I thought it was the government of an independent Scotland that was meant to decide when to move to uh, a Scottish currency. So the, the way in which policy space is analyzed within the um, building a new Scotland document remains constrained, I'm sorry, I need to talk as an economist, remains constrained by the standard economic theory uh, or approach to economic theory, which is the mainstream approach. And there is no reason for doing that. I'm interested in this because, of course, the SNP, I mean, back in, in 2014, uh, could pose itself as a kind of left-wing alternative to economic ideas at a British political level. So it was one of the first parties to come out quite strongly against austerity measures. Yes. Uh, and it was possible in those days to imagine that it represented a, a break from some of these harder kind of liberal economic orthodoxies. These days, it's quite apparent that it, it not only is part of the kind of orthodoxy, but it wants to be seen internationally as a defender uh, of that orthodoxy. Could you just explain to our listeners what some of the key tenets of that orthodoxy are and how that orthodoxy informs their attitudes about questions like currency? Well, essentially, um, it is all in the uh, in the point where um, the document says that the transition to a Scottish independent currency can only take place when the Scottish government demonstrates that they can be credible, and credibility comes from having conducted fiscal policy in a responsible way. Um, and that essentially means austerity, having 
small deficits, if any. And so it, it, it really does not recognize the much larger um, uh, policy space that having an independent currency actually affords the government. In mainstream theory, there is very little um, distinction between the advantage of using your own currency or, or not. By the way, uh, in Europe, they ad adopted the euro precisely because they didn't think that there were many benefits from having your own independent currency. But in fact, there are. And this, if I have to briefly say what those are, I, I would um, uh, point just, just to this. When you are a country that is using somebody else's currency, as it would be Scotland, uh, uh, with sterilization, what happens is that before you can spend, you need to have earned the money that you spend. Okay, exactly like a household. Uh, you know, you cannot afford expensive holidays if you haven't earned. But when you have your own independent currency, then it, it changes everything because you are actually issuing the currency. And so you can afford to purchase anything that is on sale in that currency. So you can target what you prefer, full employment, conversion to uh, green economy, uh, inequality, and so on. And you know that you have the money to finance that. Now, this doesn't mean that the government will be able to achieve all these uh, targets, because of course there are some constraints, but those constraints are not financial. It's not that you have to earn the money first, it's that there may be real constraints. For example, you know, if you want to convert your economy to a zero carbon emission economy, I don't think you can do that immediately because you don't have the engineers, you are importing uh, the, the pumps um, uh, and so on. Okay, so um, the fact that you have the means of payments does not actually mean that you have to spend these means of payments as freely as you like because you can't. There are real constraints if you don't take account of the real constraints, you're going to have inflation and, and, and problems. But you are free to choose what you spend on. And you can then use other economic levers, taxation, or you can issue, issue bonds to ensure that you're not going to have an inflationary problem. But this is according to your own political decisions and political targets or imperatives, as opposed to say, like mainstream economics does, that, well, you need to acquire um, uh, credibility from financial markets. Uh, you know, it's, 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 you're constraining the autonomy of, of, of government very significantly. One way this may have become very apparent in recent years is um, during the furlough scheme uh, in the UK, of course, um, very large amounts of money were, were created 
through, yes. you know, the Bank of England and the, and the British government, that the Bank of England buying up, uh, you know, the, the exchanges that were between the, the Bank of England and the government. That's obviously something, I mean, if, if there were a pandemic or if there were a serious economic crisis and we live in a period where there's quite a lot of those, um, you wouldn't be in a position to create money in the same way to, to finance a major public spending spree like that. Exactly. The document allows for um, uh, having the central bank um, in, in a very short period, but during the period of steril, uh, sterilization, well, there isn't much that this central bank can do. Certainly it's not a land of last resort. So if there is a financial crisis, there is a financial crisis, cannot guarantee bank deposits. Uh, and you said if there is, you know, a, a crisis like a pandemic crisis, we have to hope that the Bank of England would allow us to uh, spend sterling. It's just not quite where I think we should be. Want more like this? Subscribe to Contra Radio on our SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sign up to our regular newsletter at contra.substack.com and find great articles and more at contra.scot. We really rely on listeners like you to help us grow. In return, you get access to exclusive content and events by joining our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash contrascott. Let me ask this as a kind of, uh, as a sort of counterpoint to what you're saying, which is in recent weeks, even, we've seen at the UK level, the markets discipline a government for engaging in tax and spend and, and borrowing plans that the the markets <laughs> the markets being a bit of a euphemism i suppose for um powerful actors in the economy but the markets didn't trust the british state to um to 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 be able to pay off its debts and so on and britain was punished through various uh, means many of our institutions were thrown into crisis and ultimately the prime minister herself uh, was dislodged and replaced by someone the markets did have or could have more more confidence in. Is there a danger that people look at that situation, perhaps in much the same way as they did in, in Greece after 2015, and say, look, the markets are like a law of gravity. You must obey them. No. Um, there is a risk of getting the wrong lessons or rushing to the wrong conclusions from what has happened to the trust government. One reading is that the, the markets have disciplined the government. I think it is the wrong reading. That's not at all what has happened. Essentially, there were two problems. One problem is that the Bank of England decided to unilaterally oppose government policy. So while on the one hand, the government wanted to increase government expenditure and reduce taxation. Now, I'm not defending at all the policies of that government. Let me be mm -hmm. clear. But it was an expansionary package. The Bank of England decided that it should be the opposite. It decided that inflation was a demand problem 
which it isn't, and chose to raise interest rates to try and control inflation. So there is obviously a problem when fiscal and monetary authorities uh, disagree so openly. The second problem is that there was a major problem with, um, uh, with regulation, and that is that UK uh, pension funds were allowed to increase leverage as much as they liked. There were no limits to that. I'm not exactly sure how to be brief in explaining the problem of regulation, but essentially the problem is that UK pension fund could borrow money in, uh, in an unlimited manner, and with this money, they would buy long-term yields. When the price um, of these bonds falls and the interest rate rises, that causes in, uh, an immediate problem for pension funds. Uh, and they were, in order to obtain liquidity, they were forced to sell the government bonds that were uh, in their ownership. And therefore, uh, this actually reinforced the fall in the price of bonds. Um, more sale of bonds were required. And, and so it was necessary for the Bank of England to intervene. Note that this example actually shows quite the opposite. And, and that is that the Bank of England, if it wants, has the power to face up with the market, can stop speculation. If it wants the interest rate to go down and the price of guilt to go up, it can do that. It can buy them, you know? Um, so rather than thinking that the markets discipline governments, what we have seen here is that, okay, you know, we can criticize the Bank of England for what it has done um, before intervening. Uh, so that actually raises, I'm sorry, if I, that actually raises one extra problem that is not mentioned, and that is whether the independent Scotland should have an independent central bank. Mm -hmm. Yes, it should have its own central bank, but whether the central bank should be independent of government, it's a different question. And personally, I would be critical of the independent idea. Okay, so that, that brings us on neatly then to um, what do you think, what kind of arrangement should an independent Scotland have and what sorts of institutions should back up back up that alternative? If we, if we get rid of, if we don't have sterilisation, what's the so superior alternative? Well, clearly it should have its own currency, Scottish pound, and the Scottish pound must be a flexible currency, flexible exchange rate. So we're not targeting the euro, we're not targeting the sterling, we, we don't. We, we have our own Scottish pound, freely floating. Only a freely floating arrangement 
gives the policy space that I was mentioning before for the government to pursue its own objectives. So that, that's what it should have. Um, then clearly, yes, you need the central bank, but this, whether the central bank should be independent is a different issue. I don't think it should be, but clearly the central bank matters. The important point here, however, is that I've tried to write in my paper that there are no economic preconditions that must be satisfied between the period where we adopt Sterling, because of course there will be a short period in which we must adopt Sterling, which is immediately after the yes vote. From the yes vote to Independence Day, that will be a period when there are the negotiation of leaving the Union. In that period, you have no alternative. You, you must use Sterling. But once you have Independence Day, really the transition to the Scottish pound can be very, very, very quick. And there are no economic preconditions that must be uh, satisfied before the transition. So all the things, all the conditions that are written in the building a new Scotland document that actually without citing the growth commission sound exactly like mm -hmm. those really, um, th th there is no need for them. And actually, if you think in terms of economic preconditions, you are probably trying to make the transition more difficult, um, longer for sure. That was, always, no... that was always the suspicion of critics of the Growth Commission that the six tests they were called in the Growth Commission, they've been slightly reworded um, but they are essentially the same in character in the in the new document, yes. that many of these tests actually were mutually exclusive. It would be very, very difficult to meet one, well, you know, whilst meeting the second one and the third one and the fourth yes. one and, and so on, and that these were designed essentially to lock Scotland into Stalinisation for the, for the foreseeable future. Indeed. And it is very similar to what you have here. As I said, you can't have fiscal credibility um, if you cannot conduct your own monetary policies. Just um, it, it is, it has a deflationary austerity bias. Mm. And I don't quite see why the independent Scottish government should be subject to that bias. Is, is there a, this is perhaps more a political problem, but it does have an economic aspect as well, which is it's possible that if you had an independent Scotland, especially if that independent, new independent state was committed to its own sovereignty and its own economic independence, which could in some senses imply a degree of political independence from the major institutions of, of the, the sort of Western world system, uh, you know, the British state, the European Union, the United States. I mean, we know, for example, the European Union is quite hostile in general to the idea of, you know, of sovereign states carving out their own path and so on. I mean, we've seen the hostility of the European Union to, uh, you know, the Catalonian cause 
how it treated Greece, how it treated Ireland, how it treated Portugal, and so on. Um, is there, I mean, might other states and other institutions be motivated to um, to punish an act of sovereignty on the part of uh, a, a new kind of Western state? I mean, is that isn't that something that could be viewed as hostile? I would say that you know the S and P um, is actually has actually jumped on the train of or oh, will join the EU again, mm. um, you know, in, in, in contrast to Brexit. So we're going to reverse what this, the, 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 the Tory party has done. I do not quite know exactly um, what, will what that will imply in terms of um, economic constraints on what Scotland can do. Some say that it will not be possible to have your own independent currency. Nicola Sturgeon has explicitly said that this is not the case. However, uh, yes, I know there, there is Bulgaria, Czechia, Hungary, Poland, and so on that, that have their own currency, and yet they are in the EU. But it, it remains to be seen whether and to the extent to which this is possible. It remains to be seen what other constraints are imposed on countries that want to be part of the EU? For example, uh, will there be constraints on the size of the deficits, fiscal deficits? I mean, th th this will have all to be part of negotiations. If these constraints are imposed and there is no way to get out of it, well, maybe going back to the EU is not such a great idea. Let me ask one final question, and it's kind of a, it's a broad one, but what you're arguing for here in terms of, you know, a, a, a central bank that operates under the authority of the state, an independent free-floating free currency, I mean, these are, in general, calls for a new degree of kind of economic sovereignty um, and uh, an attachment, as it were, between sort of popular democracy and and economic policy um there's a lot of talk right now about deglobalization do you think this is part of the general direction or perhaps simply a direction that we should take um towards a greater degree of economic sovereignty do you think this could be like the wave of of the future i mean very obviously if you look at around the world today is recession britain's in recession it's really covering the, the Eurozone. The Eurozone's in a terrible situation, but there's economic signs of economic crisis in many, many countries all over the world, not least the, the cost of living crisis and so on. Do you think this is a potential answer to the current situation to rearm nation states with greater economic sovereignty? Wide-ranging question. <laughs> extremely interesting, extremely difficult too. Now, there is everywhere a, a, a democratic deficit. There is a lot of discussion of whether globalization is something that is problematic and maybe uh, should be reduced or, or whether globalization is actually uh, still the way forward. Um, I think that the crisis, the pandemic crisis, with the problem of... of um, value chain and 
and, and, and so on, has demonstrated that the way to organize international production is flawed. We have caused immeasurable damage with uh, financial globalization. Financial globalization should not exist. Uh, in my paper, I also talk about you know the existence of capital controls as one necessary tool for of of an independent monetary and fiscal policy in order to support progressive policy packages. I would tend to think that there is a need for a total rethink of trade and financial globalization. But that's exactly on the same, you know, is still part of the same broader discussion of what economy, what the economy should aim for. Um, I think that saying growth at all costs is no longer an answer that is acceptable nowadays, given the environmental uh, consequences of that. So the, the, there is a, rethink, a necessary rethink of all these big issues. But to be honest, from my point of view, uh, I'm sorry, this is minority thing, but without much stronger democracy and um, a stronger voice to the people you know, of a country, mm. we are not going to find any lasting solution to this problem problems. Okay, uh, Alberto, thanks very much for your thoughts on uh, those very wide uh, ranging questions. Thank you. Okay, thank you. All the best. This is Contra Radio from Contra.Scott.